mechanical freak broadcasting live from Seattle, the center of the neoliberal storm that's currently moving clockwise down the toilet drain as we speak. Guys, the U.S. military is falling apart. Everybody's saying it. They're saying it more and more. But more on that later. And by later, of course, I mean sometime in the future, because we're not talking about that today. Instead, we're talking about fun, good things. Right, guys? We got Munya. We got Greg with us. How are you guys doing today? Hey. Good, man. Hey. <laughs> Munya, good to have you back. Um, it's good to be back. Uh, you know, you know, it was sad not to have you with us last uh, on the last episode. And yet, you know... The vibes were just so bad that, like, I, I almost, I almost think it's better you were spared. You know, well, like, and you two are like the subject matter experts here. I'd be like the I golden I retriever like next to the. That. I don't yeah. like hearing that out loud. <laughs> you know, like it, it, it was, uh, yeah. The the vibes of the article were bad, but it also brought out the worst in Brian and I. You know, like in every possible way. It's one of the few ones that I wish we recorded the video and posted because I think my face the entire time. I tried. uh, I tried to express whenever Brian was making an like, you know, an extreme facial reaction. But I, you know, I don't know if I really captured verbally um, the astonishment (laughs) or disgust on his face. It was uh, good stuff. Uh, unfortunately, Munya, he tried to join the episode, but when he when he came to check in, he found a paper sign on the door that said, must be a scientist, and then in parentheses, political, to enter. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, guys, now that we've spent another three minutes talking about that article to add on to the two hours. Greg, that, uh, honestly, Greg, I would spend two more hours today talking about that article. I reread it after uh, we did the episode, too. Just as I was like, like, was it as bad as it sounded like having Greg read it to me? And I reread it. I was like, I was in bed, uh, just, you know, you mean. <laughs> That's how you know the crank is still in us. We're still fuming in bed at Stranger Articles to this yeah, day, yeah. baby. I'm not a thing that will never happen. Like, yeah. <laughs> just getting bad about uh, just some stupid made up bullshit. Just yeah. being brought down to the level of that, like, dorm yeah, room. Right. Like, yeah. they're like, who? Like, who are we shaking? We're shaking our fist at Bob Marley on the wall, basically. And that's yeah, it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not really mad at Ansel Hers. I'm mad at the, uh, like, nerds of my political science class sophomore year. Like, I was picturing them all in my mind. <laughs> so yeah, you know, like, those... those yeah, because you, you know, guys know these guys. Like, like this, like, this, oh, like, man, article dude. represented of type of person who you two absolutely know i could hear it in your guys's voice oh, yeah we are like this inverted specimen of like the 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 bow tie briefcase conservative <laughs> campus conservative right because yeah, it's like right, right. it's like to this day we are haunted by the people we hated in college, you know, for them, it's, it's the pink hairs and the, yeah, woke right, and right. the like the feminists or whatever. And to us, it's them. And also liberals of, of the, I, I fell in love with politics variety mm-hmm. and the, yeah, the right. like political science dorm room. Yeah. Middle school's 
schoolers grasp of the classics of theory you know yeah it's it's all the people that earnestly took a class called like democratization in 20th century america or something (laughs) that that tiktok (laughs) image that went around twitter the other day with person in glasses with a dopey smile saying oh, like with that like fake so... mid-atlantic accent like that no, no, like no, no, weird... not that guy oh not that no, guy okay. this was just another dopey glasses an- another dopey glasses guy okay uh, still when the caption was being in political science is so goofy why did i just solve the russia ukraine war uh <laughs> at it's uh, <laughs> two in the morning in a little cubicle on a Tuesday or something. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. something like that. Um, yeah. And yeah, it's that, like that's those are the people who haunt us and probably motivate all our grievances, like ultimately can be traced back to that in some way. You know, <laughs> all, oh, of our, all of our times. political pedantry and like and anger, you know, the crankery. The, I mean, where yeah. else does it come from? But but having gone through like a political science uh, department <laughs> education, you know? Yeah. No, that we were in those classes, uh, sharpening our crank blades. Uh, I will say, uh, and not that this makes me cool in any way. And in fact, uh, at the risk of making our podcast extremely uncool, uh, at one point, I was such a dick to all these people that when we would have <laughs> debates in class, the teacher told me I wasn't allowed to participate in one of my classes. Holy shit, King. Dude, yes. You, you were canceled for truth. You were canceled yeah. for truth on campus. You were. This is this is campus cancel culture it, in the know, flesh. Uh, tw- uh, tw- if you're born like 20 years later, you could have like had your phone out like taping yourself being canceled and like become mm-hmm. you know like a a uh, tiktok or youtube personality oh. you know well i think i was told at the time something along the lines of uh you have to treat other people's uh, political viewpoints as if they're valid and i say then as i say <laughs> now why <laughs> no. this is a contest for power motherfucker nothing's yeah. nothing's valid about you wanting to take power from me and mine. Fuck you. Yeah, yeah exactly. Go fuck yourself. Well, uh, you know, we're going to we're going to keep it on the lighter side uh, today. You know, we're just going to get into some tech news here. What's the latest and greatest going on in the tech world? Yeah. Uh, how's how's our investments doing? Yeah. Big things coming yeah. from tech. Uh, there was a story in Business Insider today. Let me get my reading glasses on, guys. Uh, ooh, okay. I'm just fixing them on my face. Quarterly here. earnings, I'm I'm guessing. Like, uh, you know, do they beat like the earnings estimates? Yeah, it's big news about Facebook and Google. Let's see. Okay. Social police. good market. <laughs> yeah, it begins with police. Usually not a good sign. Oh. I assume it means the band the police is reforming to perform at a Facebook Google concert. Police are <laughs> prosecuting <laughs> abortion seekers using their digital data, and Facebook and Google help them do it. Well, that sounds bad, guys. Oh, God. Yeah, so uh, I'm just going to read this first little bit at the front here. We won't go through the whole whole article because it's just essentially this over and over. But, uh, quote, as abortion bans across the nation are implemented and enforced, law enforcement is turning to social media platforms to build cases to prosecute women seeking abortions or abortion-inducing medication. And online platforms like Google and Facebook are helping. Through data collected by online pharmacies, social media posts, and user data requests from law enforcement for message and search logs, cases for prosecution can be built against women seeking an abortion. 
And they give this case real quick that I think is just worth kind of going over. This spring, a woman named Jessica Burgess and her daughter will stand trial in Nebraska after being accused of performing an illegal abortion. With the key piece of evidence provided by Meta or Facebook, uh, prosecutors said Burgess helped her daughter find and take pills that would induce an abortion. The teenage Burgess also faces charges of illegally disposing of fetal remains. TechCrunch reported that internal chat logs were provided to law enforcement officers by the social media company, which indicated the pair had discussed their plan to find medication through the app. Um, God. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, I obviously this was something that you know cranks had warned about for a long time which is that you know social media companies would just turn all of your data over to the police <laughs> if the police asked for it well, um, i mean they've been doing that for a long time yeah this is really just a story about the these bans and people being prosecuted right mm-hmm. and like that's happening like that that's the bigger part of the story here is that this is all it's all really happening and People are just, you know, the the country is just deciding to leave behind people in these states that these bans are going into. It's basically, as far as I can tell, no longer a political issue that the Democratic Party is ever going to care about again. Um, So these people in Nebraska, they were committing. They were committing crimes. And when you do that and, and you. You get suspected of this for whatever reason. The interesting thing to know, you know, here might be how they were, what, how they got caught, how, who was tipped off by what. But then at that point, it's just, you just, yeah, they they ask what the the police prosecutors do, what they've done for many years, which is ask these people for the, for, you know, you, you get a warrant. You just, you send them uh, a pro forma warrant and they give them access to all your communications because you're, they're investigating a crime. I mean, that's what has happened here is in Nebraska and other places, they've turned this uh, bit of uh, medical care into murder in the law. Mm-hmm. And so now, well, they, you know, uh, just like any other uh, investigation valid or, a, you know, any other disgusting overreach of police power um, that's going to be brought to bear in the same way it is for anything else in these cases. Yeah. It's horrifying. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it does remind me of back in like 2004 when there was the first hints that the U S government was reading everybody's email and some reporter asked John Ashcroft if, you know, he felt comfortable having, you know, like having the, uh, you know, defense department or whoever, right. The intelligence agencies read his email and he's like, I don't send things via email. <laughs> right. Which was <laughs> meant to be like, yes, they're definitely doing it. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I, I think there was this fantasy that liberals in particular engaged in that. Yeah. There's these conservative States and they're going to do all these crazy things in these red States, but like woke companies are going to uh, divest from those states and, and flex their muscle against, you know, these, uh, you know, uh, re- you know, these revanchist like misogynist policies. And the reality is, no, they won't. They're going to hand over all your information to the police and allow you to get arrested. 
right? Like that's yeah, the Meta just, reality. Yeah, exactly. Meta just like said very bluntly that they had a valid legal warrant from local law enforcement and that uh, they went on to say that they didn't even mention abortion in the case, right? Because they don't mm-hmm. necessarily have to, right? It's just, just business as usual at this point, which is not a surprise. It's, I think... Um, completely delusional to have a uh, idea that they would somehow just push back for the greater good when it's like now written in the law. Like, you know, you kind of see like a lot of, you know, large companies as part of the state apparatus, right? Not like some like counterforce to the capitalist state in a lot of ways too, right? Like why, why, why would they, unless it's like advancing like their own capital accumulation, like, I mean, yeah. They're not going to be going to bat as if they're an NGO. Well, and I mean, the other like warning was probably during the Arab Spring, right? When uh, there were the Tahrir Square protests in Egypt. And again, like in America, the sort of liberal press was so excited. Like, this is how social media is changing, how protests are done. But it just Twitter turned is out- real life. Yeah, but it just turned out that Boeing had sold the Egyptian government this like software that allows them to quick comb through social media to like, you know, single out individual accounts that are suspected of, you know, whatever. Right. Which then allowed the Egyptian state to round up who they thought were the leaders <laughs> of these things and like, you know, torture, disappear, et cetera. These various people. I mean, I, I think that we've had all these signs along the way. And here's just one more that, uh, the liberatory, you know, promises of the internet are just a phantasm. Like it's just another trap essentially but uh yeah not good not good doesn't sound great Mm -mm. well from not good news there to you know maybe some some bad news in arlington virginia guys amazon and a bit of cost cutting has stopped construction of its you know second headquarters that it was building in virginia uh, the Miss Amazon contest has ground to a halt and <laughs> the 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 helix, the giant corkscrew made of glass they were going to build that looks like uh, something out of SimCity 2000 might not actually get constructed. A true loss well, pre- for the state of Virginia. Brian, your precious Arco. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's no other way to describe it. It just looks like an Arco from SimCity. Um so, yeah, in this article, basically, Amazon has, you know, as a cost cutting effort, has called a halt to future construction on the phase two of the campus, which includes the largest facilities that they planned on building. Um, but a local Democrat, Don Beyer, not local, but he's the Democratic House member representing the district. Uh, has warned Amazon that, quote, monetary incentives were tied to economic benefits to the region and therefore have not and will not engage until established metrics are reached. So you you hear you've heard that, Amazon. Uh, there needs to be metrics reached before uh, benefits are engaged. <laughs> so. um, I, I guess I mean, what a what a what a. F- God, what a fucking limp dick thing to even say. Like, why remind people? Like, the most, like, this, that whole thing was such an embarrassing debasement. Like, that's the politicians of the country, 
like just came out to just kiss Amazon's ass to just oh, offer them humiliating to show up like the fucking magi with their gifts for the Christ like <laughs> like and just like here please please uh, bring we'll the kingdom of God to our corner dollars. of America <laughs> <laughs> and like to remind just I would just shut the fuck up. I just hope nobody uh, noticed. I wouldn't like <laughs> I, mean, I wouldn't be coming out going, no, 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 no. This thing I did, it was it was good still uh, <laughs> because actually, see, um, I may have debased myself, but it, it's not going to cost you anything in the end because we're just not going to pay him the money. Um, it's not like I mean, what? Are the, and, and, you know, anyway, that's just Olympic ass covering, but it's not like Amazon cares. It's not like the reason they were doing this shit. They were. They needed to expand and they could have done it here in Seattle. Instead, they're like, shit, real estate's really expensive here. And uh, so we could go somewhere else. And, you know, like every company has done for the last like four decades. Yeah, we can make someone someone pay us for it. That's like the paradigm. All mm-hmm. local p- politicians understand is you have to pay companies to build so much as a fucking grocery store, like a fucking Walmart uh, <laughs> in the exurbs, you know. So. The other parts of this, though, is like, I mean, what they laid off like everybody. Muni, you've been following this. They laid off, did, you know, didn't all these tech companies like lay off six yep. percent of their workforce or something? Yep. Like, yep. How, like, what is our what's your take, Muni, at this point on like the the Fed's efforts to uh, cool down the labor market or in their frame public framing cool down inflation by telling capital to like uh you know send signals into the economy stop hiring is this just part of that is this just like the next step of like getting the fed not to raise uh continue raising interest rates i mean i think i i don't think it's that um deep to the point where Amazon is pausing this as like a bargaining chip to the Fed. I think that um, they're more than happy to play along with, um, you know, like raising interest rates. Like they've already taken on the debt, right? Like, I mean, like, you know, a lot of these companies like Apple and Amazon have already taken like, you know, one, two percent, you know, major corporate loans. Right. And so although like that in the short term, it is more expensive to operate with high interest. I don't think that necessarily, um, Amazon needs these interest rates to go completely lower, like immediately. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the the construction I think comes from the fact that now the macro environment changes. Where one, um, you know, Bezos does have you know pretty significant influence in DC already. Amazon's uh, you know bid to go to DC was I think a political play. Ultimately, um, you know, they are looking uh, to. Uh, wheeled power like in Seattle and they were looking at New York, but ultimately DC is not an accident. It's not just because of the subsidies that they're getting, yeah. right? It's also because they're really close to power. Um, so I, I think that, you know, this was done during a time when I think work from home was like less uh, formalized. Uh, Google said that only about like maybe 36% of their employees go into the office four days a week at least um, at this point still in 2023. Right. And so I think it's both the fact that, um, the fed kind of gave the green light for, you know, um, companies like Amazon and Google to lay off like, you know, 6% of their workforce, which is a large number when you talk about like how many people work at these companies. Mm -hmm. Um, 
you know, and I think from that standpoint too, uh, while there might be a cliff in the economy, I think they need to both be posting, you know, profits. And so if you're like going to be making like a ghost, uh, office space, uh, for where people were mostly like white collar workers who might not be even going into it. It's like, why even spend the billions of dollars on that too, when we can just still wield the influence in DC um, while not really, you know, going forward with this project. Cause at least not you know, now. Just more, yeah. At least not now there's more scrutiny with like investors right now on like big spending. Um, Facebook got severely punished for, you know, their metaverse spending and everything, which like tanked their stock price. Like there's just like a lot of sensitivity to like, you know, big spending and like the big buzzwords are all about cost cutting and raising prices. Right. Like, which you can say, oh, like that's just like what happens all the time. But with like big tech companies, like you can get away with spending yeah. a lot of money, right? Like, and, well, that's, and like that's been the paradigm not in tech caring. Yeah. For a long time is move fast and break things. And then exactly spend a shitload of money, pay well, people a bunch of money, have a large staff. Uh, and yeah, I, I think we've talked about before, like all of this is has been an opportunity for the tech sector to like maybe start reversing that and start operating like other uh blue chip companies where you you know pay a small number of people uh as little as you can below management uh to do whatever you're doing so uh to that point uh i just had out of curiosity is looking at another article in the financial times that came out the other day about uh amazon's big dreams for alexa fall short talking about how they were laying off a lot of people in that division specifically. <laughs> um, and in it, they were mentioning that there was a constant grow, grow, grow culture of like developing Alexa's abilities and figuring out uses and such. And, uh, and it they all came quote, up with nothing. <laughs> yeah, they quote a worker uh, in that division who says that the recent diktat they got from Amazon was, quote, if you have anything you can do that you might be able to directly monetize, you should do it. <laughs> so <laughs> that's where that's at right now. So yeah, so yeah I, I think to your uh, point, uh, Greg and Moody, you're right. That that seems to be uh, where we're where Amazon is at at the moment. But I I I like I love Alexa because like you know God we haven't reveled in a long time on uh, in the. Uh, the embarrassing abject failure of the fire phone, you know, mm -hmm. but like that was the thing, like, you know, a delusional, uh, venture. I, I still can't believe that that went as far as it did, but delusional in a, <laughs> in a different way than Alexa, because like with the fire phone, it's like they were trying to break into this market. that was very established. And I mean, if you could do it great, you know, um, but they couldn't. Right. And so it's embarrassing with Alexa it was like, okay, that doesn't work. Our thing, you know, if we're going to get into devices, it has to be something more uh, in the vein of the of the tech like world, the tech thinking, which is like, no, create something new to sell, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, so that you know, let's invent something, invent something purely from a marketing perspective, just something that no one knows they want yet, and sell it to them. And, uh, you know, like nobody knew how little they wanted it until a bunch of people bought it. So like it's in, yeah. it's out there, like people have it, it's in, and it's in your devices, you can have it on, but like, it like, 
you know, you live with one of those things for a little while and everyone seems to realize like they don't want it. Like they're really stupid. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing that that's the thing that's so interesting about Alexis is that like a lot of people do have and a lot of people buy them and they had like growth for a little bit. Right. Like, you know, it wasn't like a complete dud immediately. So with Alexa and the marketing was good, um, you know, it seemed like people were into it for the most part. Uh, you know, it served a certain purpose, uh, but like um, selling hardware, the reason why Apple only has like, you know, like a minority share of market share in the smartphone market, but has over 86% of all of the smartphone profits is because like, you know, you can't be necessarily a loss leader when it comes to hardware without like, you know, selling a lot within like the software itself, if you're going to be like basically giving these out at cost or for free, right? Like, you know, cause like mm-hmm. um, Amazon's all about kind of like making like stuff as cheap as possible and like, you know, like selling the hardware and like, it's kind of the printer idea, right? Where you buy the printer, but you need to pay money mm-hmm. for the ink. Well, where's the ink with Alexa, right? Yep. Like the, I think the value prop was like, oh, well, people will buy a lot of stuff on Amazon, but it turns out like that people have smartphones, people have, you know, computers, like it's not like Amazon sales dip, but it's, it's not necessarily juicing the sales. Like, you know, they, they would right. otherwise, their idea, buy. they sold, they, it's weird. Cause they even sold it to the customer in that way. Like, Oh, there's all these cool things you do. You do Alexa, uh, play this music, you know, like, like Captain Picard when he wants to like dance some salsa mm-hmm. in his quarters, you mm-hmm. know, I mean, that's the dream, right? And or do this other thing or Alexa, order this fucking thing. A yeah, thing no Alexa one is by like done. Tide detergent. Yeah. Like, you know, yeah. you're not doing that. <laughs> because what? Because it just like walk. How did they pitch like executives on this idea as like if as like an actual like way to make money to sell more stuff? Because it's like the idea is, I think, which is part of the whole Amazon idea. It's like one way that we make our profits is by selling more stuff because of its convenience. You know, like it's so easy to order from Amazon. And so what can we do to make it even more convenient? Oh, you're just standing anywhere and you say, Hey, Alexa, order this thing. I want what thing. I mean, what is, what are you ordering (laughs) that you don't need to like, look at like (laughs) nothing like that's not what, what like impulse buy are you having in your, uh, kitchen like as you're making dinner for your family that you don't need to like have a peek at you know like that you can just like say like pull out of the ether and tell the computer lady and it's just going to show up the thing you actually want it's not even about the computer lady understanding it's not even about the technology it's about you the person like wanting to needing to even decide what you want you know mm-hmm. Well, uh, maybe we should give Microsoft chief executive Satya Nadella the final word Satya. on these. Satya? Satya, uh, yeah. Uh, the final word on these. Uh, quote, they were all dumb as a rock, Nadella told the Financial Times last month. Whether it's Cortana <laughs> or Alexa or Google Assistant or Siri, all these just don't work. We had a product that was supposed to be the new front end to a lot of information that didn't work. So... Uh, yeah, I think they've come to acknowledge that's all bullshit that doesn't work. Well, <laughs> let's get on to something that does work, guys. And uh, that's the American economy. It's humming. It's buzzing. We're, choo, choo. Uh, we're, yeah, we're in, uh, 
you know, year two now of uh, the new Biden era. We're going to reset the calendar, all that kind of stuff. Uh, this is from the New York Times, March 4th, 2023. Is the entire economy gentrifying? And this one was so good, I figure we could just go through it here. So the article begins. Big companies are prodding their customers towards fancier and often pricier versions of everything from Krispy Kreme donuts to cans of WD-40. It's evidence of the corporate world's new favorite buzzword, premiumization. (laughs) (laughs) I gotta love a new buzzword. Businesses are hoping to keep the good times rolling after several years in which they seized on strong spending by consumers and rapid inflation to raise prices and pump up profit margins. Huh. Is the New York Times <laughs> finally admitting that most of the inflation was just price gouging from companies in order to pad their own profits? Uh, it seems like they just said those were the same thing. Uh, <laughs> so... <laughs> I mean, it's incredible. Very bluntly saying it, too, as if they knew it all along. Yeah, exactly right. In any article where they talked about any, uh, like, efforts to actually curb inflation, it's interesting how this analysis is completely absent from any of those articles. But in this one, where they're talking about fun new business trends, we could just openly say what we all know, which is uh, inflation was price gouging for the most part. All right, well, many firms are embracing offerings that cater to higher income customers, people who are willing and able to pay more for products and services. One sign of the trend, the notion of premiumization, was raised in nearly 60 earnings calls and investor Jeez. meetings over the past three weeks. Munya, you're weeks. a financial guru. Is that a guru? Is that, the, is that a lot? That's, That's is that a, a lot. trend? That's. That's a lot, man. That's wow. Yeah. I mean, doesn't that more than anything like tell say that it's like a bullshit scramble that was going around like, hey, what can I say? It like something that just caught on like without much thought, you well, know? Th- like the funniest the funniest thing is that like during the George Floyd protests, like if you um control F searched um systematic racism like that was mentioned Mm -hmm. in every single earnings Mm -hmm. call after that like there's always like there's uh, whenever any quarterly earnings come out like there's usually like a trend of like the word to say that like eventually just kind of like is forgotten about the next quarterly Mm -hmm. earnings call so you know um i i I will say that uh, for this trend though i mean they've come up with a bullshit buzzword for it uh, but this has been going on for years. And uh, if you were a longtime listener, uh, have been checking in with one Dick Wolf. No, not that one. But our personal friend, me and Munya's personal friend, Richard Wolf, uh, the economist, uh, dating back to 2012, probably, he's been uh, going on about how the middle of the market is essentially vanishing yeah. and companies are all yeah. running to either the very bottom or the very top. Uh, so let's let's hear. Let's, yeah, let's hear a little bit more from the Times here. It is an indication of a changing economic backdrop. Inflation and consumer spending, well, I I think we put in price gouging, and consumer spending (laughs) are expected to moderate this year, which could make it more difficult for firms to sustain large price increases without some justification. Right, so and I, I chose I chose to pay twelve dollars for eggs. That's me spending more as a consumer. All right, it's just, it's just respect so my choices. Depending on what they're writing the article about, they really can just come out and say it. Sometimes, like it's pretty funny. Um, 
Well, the, like it's also this is also saying like what's what's the problem we're addressing here? We're thinking that like inflation is now slow is back down to two percent supposedly, and the narrative around because that's what part of like is inflation is that's what they're saying here is that the narrative of inflation and the things that cause it like COVID and supply chains and all this stuff that that backstop it and rising fuel prices which is the big signal these are all signals that you can price gouge because there's a justification for it out there and like once this goes away now we're back down to like you know so like two percent inflation okay they can't stop like they, they got to stop raising their prices because that's the signal the economy's giving them what they're all worried about then is in that situation, price competition being reintroduced and actually having to lower prices as people mm-hmm. look around and go like, OK, the supply chain crisis and COVID is over. So I'm looking around. Uh, why aren't you know, shouldn't my prices for my daily goods be going back down to something like they were? Of course, that would be deflation. And we know that's not really going to happen. But on a large scale, but yeah, some companies out there might be going like, Oh, here we can undercut everybody because there is room to undercut. Uh, There must be because this is all fucking price gouging. Yeah. You know? So if you're, if you're going to get undercut and you're like, and you're like, no, fuck it. I want to keep my prices high, which is just like a, a, a not necessarily rational, like desire of capital, right? You're like, you now have to come up with a way to do that. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, this next chunk, I think, is the next most important revelation uh, that the Times now feels OK to just say out loud. <laughs> the premiumization trend also reflects a divide in the American economy. The top 40 percent oh? of earners are sitting on more than a trillion dollars in extra savings amassed during the early part of the pandemic. Lower income households, on the other hand, have been burning through their savings, partly as they contend with the higher costs of the food, rent and other necessities that make up a bigger chunk of their spending. Quote, the pool of people willing to spend on small to large premium offers remains strong, said David Mayer, a senior partner in the brand strategy practice of Lippincott, a consultancy. As products grow more expensive and exclusive, big swaths of the economy are at risk of becoming gentrified, raising the possibility that poorer consumers will be increasingly underserved. I mean, at the start of the pandemic, didn't like the lowest 20% of earners have no savings to begin with? Uh, Like, (laughs) um, yeah, I mean, this is, this is just facts. Um, America is becoming unequal. There is no middle class, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You know, the last 40, 50 years, of declining standard of living in America has in part been hidden or dealt with by the declining quality and price of basic goods, you know? So Mm -hmm. an illusion of standard of living has been sort of maintained while, you know, in real numbers, uh, you know, pay has been going down by just having cheaper and cheaper stuff. Yeah. Yeah, what's happened is that the mid-tier of places where you might consume goods is vanishing. So, for instance, like Dollar Tree is doing very well, but mid-tier grocery stores are closing, right? Um, Yeah. uh, Wolf would always talk about this in reference to, like, the Olive Garden, right? So restaurants like the Olive Garden ate shit after 2008 and started to disappear, you know, as far as, like, the amount of restaurants in the country and stuff like that. 
uh, while restaurants at the very bottom tier were doing a little bit better and restaurants in the high end were actually doing very well. And the thing was, is that people at the bottom end, that bottom 60% do make use of those mid tier grocery stores and like mid tier restaurants and mid tier, yeah. you know, whatever. Uh, they're just not going to have that anymore. Right. So from here on out, like, well, yeah, they might be relying a lot on the lowest end of the market as far as uh, provisions and things like that. Increasingly, that's all they're going to have to rely on, that the mid-tier stuff is just vanishing. Uh, and so more and more people will be cut off from that entirely. Uh, the other part of that, too, is that, well, things like Dollar Tree are doing really well. It's not like companies are rushing to serve the low end of the market. They're, you know, they're all rushing to get to the high end because that's where the money is, all the disposable income is. So uh, you do end up in a situation which you get in a lot of third world countries where if you're rich, you can buy anything you want. You can live at any standard of living that you want to live at. Right. Uh, but for f- poor people, frequently things just aren't available, you know, because yeah. there's no one to provide it. You know, it's not even that poor people just have zero dollars. It's that there's nobody who, you know, wants to even nobody wants to supply it. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, this and that's what creates that's I mean, that's the systematic thing that creates food deserts, too. And a lot of like, you know, low income neighborhoods, you know, it's like it's not like they don't want to like or can't like, Mm -hmm. you know, eat or like, you know get food at these places is that they literally uh, do not have any places to get it at a certain level of like income over a community like it's not worth this the juice isn't worth the squeeze for capital to invest in the infrastructure of selling things is the same uh at any level you know how operating a store the real estate Mm -hmm. the building the staff eh, it's pretty much the same at any level you know like yeah of uh of of price but like you're making a lot less on that when you're selling to the poorest people you know so just don't yeah, and what happens is and you can look at, for recent U.S. examples. Uh, you would look to like the segregation of South and like the treatment of Black communities, and you know, I mean, you talk about food deserts. I mean, one of the big things was they used to just not have grocery stores in a lot of Black communities, and who comes in to fill that gap are guys like the family of Jerry Jones, Dallas Cowboys owner, who made their initial fortune. Uh, you know putting grocery stores in black neighborhoods in Arkansas where they price gouged the shit out of the fucking black community because they had nowhere else weren't to they go. Like and they like selling expired to? cans too and stuff? Like weren't <laughs> yeah, they I mean, like buying expired cans at the cheap to like then flip them to like, you know, yeah, I mean, black that's neighborhoods? That's what typically happened and, you know, in those kind of areas and stuff like that. And with us, I mean, so basically like who rushes in to fill the gap are people that are explicitly predatory um, you know. I think that's what Dollar Tree represents is that, um, you know, not only like the fact that you have to buy do- grocery stores from a dollar store just sounds like ridiculous on his face. You know, like I don't mm-hmm. like I it wasn't always that we associated dollar stores with like our primary mode of like getting our groceries. Right. Like so, like, mm-hmm. you know, and they say in their earnings call that um, what the type of person that this economy produces i.e. a more precarious, um, a poorer person produces is good for their business, right? So they uh, kind of like tacitly admit that, you know, or not actually pretty explicitly admit that, you know, the economy that makes people poor is um, good for Dollar Tree businesses because it, you know, one, because of the, because on one lever, of course, like the material conditions of the standard of living going down for, you know, a vast amount of people. But two, 
the fact that, you know, capital is just divesting from those areas a lot, which leaves that hole an opportunity for places like dollar stores to basically monopolize uh, grocery stores around, you know, the country in a lot of ways. And it's the classic poverty trap, too, of while you might look at the Dollar Tree and say, well, everything there is so cheap or whatever. It actually is more expensive to shop at stores like that because of the quantities you buy in. And certainly, I mean, forget quality, you know, (laughs) but like quantities and stuff that you buy in, uh, it would be cheaper to get it at the mid tier grocery stores or, you know, even a, a place like Costco or whatever. But that requires upfront money. And um you know, I mean, it's essentially an acceleration of the trend that they just talked about, which is the bottom 60 percent are having all their money. They're burning through their savings. Right? It's been siphoned off by price gouging in food, price gouging in rents, you know, all those kind of things like they're the most sort of uh, squeezed population. And, you know, as they run out of money, you know, uh producers capitalists are going to run to the high end of the market where you could i mean this is the classic problem with the urbanists by the way and their housing shit of you just got to build mm. more housing the only housing real estate interests want to build is for the top end of the market nobody wants to build anything for the low end of the market all the money's at the top you know yeah uh, yeah why why would you build for the low end you know like <laughs> yeah, that's, that's not know? what a market force will do yeah you know it's so. only ever really been done at scale by the feds because yeah they're the it's the only way you can justify that expense is uh knowing you're only going to make it back over a hundred years you know and like capital's yeah, not yeah. interested in that you know you yeah that was same, the same with the grocery store you can you know you could have a a you know a positive like uh investment in a you know low-income neighborhood and grocery store uh but it's going to take a lot longer you know yeah yeah. And you can't and you can't sell like the, the margins are gonna be thinner, right? Because yeah. like the thing about yeah. premiumization too is that people with a lot of disposable income are willing to spend things and also just be marketed to more easily on shit that they don't need, right? Yeah. Like uh, or on shit that just like might be a lot of like kind of bells and whistles, this like mindset of like having the best or having the most like, you know, quality thing, so to speak, right? Um you know, that that there's a much bigger like margin uh, on that type of market and that type of consumer. Right. Then, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. you know, someone who might not have that appetite. Right. And then and ultimately, like, you know, of course, it makes the, you know, people on the losing end of this uh, worse off. But in the long run, that actually makes like the that other consumer group, the higher income consumer group worse off as well, right? Because what they're yeah. doing is essentially just like taking that surplus on what, uh, you know, the inequality surplus and extracting it from them, right? Like that's kind of mm-hmm. like the game plan here um, yeah. is to up prices a lot more. Uh, they cite that, uh, well, I guess we'll get further into the article, but, you know, they cite like <laughs> certain businesses that are doing this, right? And it's kind of from all over, uh, which is interesting. Yeah, yeah, you could you when we go through some of these examples, you can ask yourself, uh, is this really a better mousetrap? Now, uh, just one last point on say like the grocery store example, too, is a lot of the operating expense of grocery stores in poor neighborhoods also has nothing to do with normal grocery store operations, right? So the fact that there is the stigma around selling in poor neighborhoods leads to say like the QFC by my house that has to fund two, not one, but two separate police surveillance towers in their uh, 
parking lot that yell at you about locking your car and watching out for dangerous, uh, you know, people or suspects in the thing. Like, you know, that's the expense that QFC is paying for. Now, I'd argue they don't have to, but that's not how companies think. Right. Yeah. Um, You know, as well as an armed security guard at all times and all that kind of shit. Right. So, you know, again, that's just money that gets siphoned away from poor people Another tax that they have to pay to live in America. Right. All right. So continuing in the article, as products grow more expensive and exclusive, big swaths of the economy are at risk of becoming gentrified, raising the pos. Oh, just sorry. Whoop. Skip that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Businesses have long segmented customers trying to push richer ones into pricier and more profitable purchases. Think of the spacious premium seats on an airplane versus the cramped economy class alternatives. But the trend okay, I will say worth it. <laughs> Sorry, premium <laughs> seats are worth it. But by the way, this this trend that they talk about right here is the early stages of premiumization. That yeah. you know, so like well, the, idea, the classic example for decades. Yeah, yeah, yeah segmenting the Very seats, right? And too. then yeah, yeah, and making making seats. the economy and not only like making premium seats like more expensive and have like a lot of legroom, but doing that at the expense of the economy seats, where the yeah. plane is the same size, right? Like, so you're yep. basically you know, instead of them all kind of being relatively equal sizes, it's like, how can we cramp the economy as much as possible? How can we slash those prices as much as possible? Right. Well, you know, um, mm-hmm. offering a super saver tier where if you like, you know, bring one carry on bag, you'll get charged $200 for it. Right. Like, mm-hmm. you know, like that type of like easy jet Ryanair type, uh, traps mm-hmm. that are now like just our normal five big airlines, uh, doing the same practice. So yeah. that, where you need to like spread your legs out um, like in a stretch in order to even like fit into that seat um, versus the premium seats, which on the same airline I've had, uh, you know, I'm like, I'm not a short guy and I was able to extend my legs fully, right? Mm-hmm. Um, without like, you know, touching the other seat at all, like very, you know, like a lot of room. So mm-hmm. that wasn't always the case. And now, you know, there's patents uh, that have been issued for standing seats in planes, yep. right? Like, yep. and- yeah, we covered that on the show, I think, <laughs> when the patent went through. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Few, few of our listeners know Munia is actually seven foot three. Um, yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I could. I, I, dude, honestly, if I didn't suffer that injury in high school, I could have been an NBA star, man. Yeah, yeah maybe <laughs> I, you can dunk. I, I, he just doesn't want to right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, I mean, the fee based model that's proliferated over the last three years is 30 years. It's just this. It's it's all just one of the same. Right. And um, but yeah, so back to the article. But the trend picked up during the pandemic and the lurch toward luxury is now spanning a wider array of products and services. Executives at some companies are focusing heavily on the rich. At American Express, which reported record spending by cardholders last quarter, quote, we're constantly tightening up the card members that we're acquiring. Stephen J. Squarey, the company's chief executive, told analysts on a recent call, describing how the firm has been steadily limiting its focus to higher earning applicants, quote, that premium customer base, while not immune to economic downturns, certainly right now is spending on through. Other I, companies... I, I would suggest that they are immune to economic downturns. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> we, uh, we have to, like, you know, yeah, have this little, uh, you know, pretend uh, sympathy for rich people during a, a recession or something. Like, oh, yeah, everybody's affected, you know? But mm-hmm. you just said they're not. Yeah, because <laughs> to be affected is to 
not be able to spend through. It's like, oh my gosh, they're they're not making the ten percent returns they wanted to or whatever. But like, yeah, they're they're if your lifestyle is not affected, I'm sorry, you're not affected by it. Yeah, exactly. Other companies are emphasizing premium offerings as an alternative to discounts. Krispy Kreme spent last year attracting customers using deals, including a, quote, <laughs> beat the pump discount that matched the price of a dozen glazed donuts to the national average price of a gallon of gas. But it is planning to do less discounting this year, an executive said on a call, aiming instead to generate, quote, excitement around our premium specialty donuts, which include fancier, higher price offerings around holidays. Pushing premium products has come up in some unexpected corners of the corporate world. WD-40, the firm that makes the lubricant of the same name, has found that customers will pay more for products with enhancements, like a can with a, quote, smart straw to spray the (laughs) lubricant in two different ways, in either a precision stream or more of a mist. Premiumization creates opportunities for revenue growth, grows margin expansion, and most importantly, it delights our end users. Oh, yeah. The company's chief executive said on a call. Delight. That's also that's also <laughs> that's the Bezos's yeah, word. That's the that's mm-hmm. the Bezos. Mm-hmm. God damn. You, this guy probably picked it up from Bezos is the funny part, but uh, oh, like they pick up everything. I mean, yeah, that's, yeah, yeah he's all, the influencer, dude. He's regurg- the corporate influencer. But I, I do love the like rev yeah, it gives us uh, opportunities for revenue growth and grows our margins. Uh but it also delights the end users, just so you guys know. I, that that's the important thing on they this. They like uh, their mist in the WD forty. I, I love like it. That actually, like no, you know, up to now we've been associating this and the article has with like the divergence in the American economy, the growing, you know, inequality, uh the growing like transfer of wealth from like the middle and the bottom of the top that, you know, makes just this widening chasm and, and assuming that premiumization means selling to, you know, the top uh, earners, like as they broke it down in this article, the top 40%. But this, you know, lets us know that actually like there, any, anyone can get in on this, including to attempt to sell like something at a premium to poor people. You know, mm-hmm. like they're not just yeah. this isn't you don't target like a, your specialty holiday donuts at Krispy Kreme at millionaires. You know, you you offer them as an extravagance for someone who, you know, has nothing to save for nothing, nothing better to spend their money on because the, they'll never afford a house. You know, so it's like, fuck it. I could get the the four dollar donut. Or, God, you know, I deserve it. The $6 donut that has, <laughs> like, uh, they print my face on it or something. I don't know. Like, I don't know, you know, the, the special, whatever. The fucking, soon enough, the fucking um, olive oil, the oleato at, yeah. at uh, <laughs> Starbucks, you know? Yeah. Uh, you know, and I, I think it's all just a sign that, uh, yeah, if you're not making, <laughs> like, $250,000 a year, you're just going to increasingly... Uh, either be price gouged to shit or just cut out of this entirely. But let's uh, continue on. The question now is what the shift toward more premium products means for the broader economy. It could be a sign that companies are making last-ish efforts to justify higher prices and cling to fat profits as the economic outlook darkens. 
To fight inflation, the Federal Reserve has been rapidly raising interest rates, which is meant to slow economic growth and cool consumer demand. That could make it harder for businesses to continue charging more, cooling inflation, and potentially cutting into profits in the process. By the way, I like that the New York Times sort of accidentally sets up a, if you thought about it for one second, counter-narrative here, where maybe instead of the Federal Reserve uh, essentially jacking up interest rates in order to like cut wages and get people laid off, uh, another way we could have fought inflation is just to price cap things. Yeah. yeah, this is literally put in price controls that would have actually and it would have actually done it. It wouldn't have been like a weird end around where you just hope you end up at lower inflation. It would have just actually stopped it right there, you know, but interesting. Uh, trusting that their reader would never think about that after reading that paragraph, which they're right. So good on them. Quote, most everybody had pricing power last year, said Scott Schronert, Cronert, uh, or everybody's going to fuck, Cronut, Scott Cronut, we're going with that, a strategist at Citigroup, explaining that oh, his that's forecast... That's the premium donut at Krispy Kreme this, this Christmas. <laughs> They're bringing it. back the Cronut for the pores as an extravagance, because, <laughs> like, it's not cool in New York anymore, or, or whatever, you know? <laughs> so, like, <laughs> that that's the thing. That's what, you know, all this, it's like, it's not enough to prevent yourself from buying a house by getting a coffee every day. They, they want to like build in more and more uh, daily extravagances to shit that you, you desperately need to feel to keep your from killing yourself, to feel like you have any power in your life, to feel like I can choose to spend this money because I need it today and I deserve it. I'm getting a Krona and an Oleato and at the same time, reinforce your own shame and your own mm-hmm. like uh, complicity in your economic stagnation, because you'll be constantly reminded all the time that like if you just stop buying the premium Krispy Kreme and the Oleato that you would, you know, you wouldn't be poor in a few house. years. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, no. I mean, yeah, it's it's perfect how capital exploits you and then uh, exploits that exploitation to make you feel bad about it, right? Mm-hmm. That it's your personal fault, right? Avocado uh, well, toast and its consequences, man. <laughs> exactly. So the Times is going to throw some cold water on premiumization here for a second. Attempts to maintain profit margins by giving products a premium sheen are not guaranteed to pay off. I, by the way, I like the fact that they're just admitting to nothing is actually getting better, right? Yeah, it's just right, sheen. Right. It's, all, it's, a sheen. it's all facade, right? <laughs> it's, like, but, well, that's, no, it's this swindling is like, like the top 10, yeah. It's a combination <laughs> of, yeah, I mean, you can put out a premium product, but like they've always been selling those to rich people. As there are more rich people, they're they're selling more rich Gugas to rich people, more rich people, more yeah, like hyper luxury cars, whatever. Yeah, But like, the rest, I think what we're learning here is what this is really about is, yeah, a combination of, like, I was just talking about marketing to everybody that's just marketing, that's just fluff to justify a 25%, like, jump in the price compared to the thing you're looking at right next to it in the Krispy Kreme case, you know, mm-hmm. because it's special. And that's just pure marketing, right? Uh, and the thing that's always been combined to that, because this is always, this has always been price strata and, and that's always been that it's stratification right to it's always been that to justify the higher end product the lower end product needs to exist and maybe even the middle product needs to exist now maybe that's not going to be the case anymore but like 
if they're looking to do this now, they're it's going to be marketing and also making the lower end stuff below it even shittier as a contrast. Mm-hmm. So like they can continue to charge a premium price for something by, by for the the premium Krispy Kreme by like you know making the all the rest of the Krispy Kremes like taste bad adding like a drop of epicac <laughs> you know um <laughs> like so that you kind of gag on it and you're like oh that's i'm not not me i'm not that's the poor donut i'm not eating that shit Ooh. i'm gonna get the good one yeah because i deserve it <laughs> exactly well okay so uh they they now go into a survey of theme parks and how this has gone for them so six flags the theme park operator recently shifted to a more premium model by raising prices and limiting discounts, which Salim Basul, the chief executive, described as, quote, bold changes to our business model in order to elevate the guest experience. What 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 <laughs> elevations you are you doing? <laughs> Elevating the prices? Like what what what, what exactly rocks. at a theme park are you really changing there? You know? Like uh, uh, at least yeah, like give like a express line so I can like ride your like dopey ass like roller coaster or some shit, you know? Well, it's you know, it's telling actually because like historically Six Flags has always offered what, you know, the Japanese would call the Japanese industrials would call incremental improvement, you know, where every every year or two, every three, the car gets just a a little nicer like the stereo gets a little better and mm-hmm. like little bits of it just and then you know now basically all cars are really fancy and expensive um yeah. but like six flags had always done that too because every few years they come out with a new roller coaster dude do you remember the timberhawk oh man one wild waves uh you know released the timberhawk i remember seeing <laughs> that on tv like that that roller coaster was crazy yeah dude that was the innovation well, if you want to see Six Flags Innovation, Google Superman Ride Decapitations. Oh, my God. Oh, it's afternoon. like the live leak shit. The point is, <laughs> they don't say in here, we're building new roller coasters. A thing they've done to, you know, as a premium ad to get people coming back for the new, even better thing. They're not doing that. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't think they added anything. I mean, they don't even mention a line thing like Disney did, which is kind of crazy. But uh, so back to the article, it has had mixed results so far in the nine months through September. Attendance as parks fell by 25 percent from the year before. Spending per guest rose 22 percent. And in the end, profits ne- fell by nearly 10 percent. Right. So they essentially charged everybody more, which meant once you're in the park, yeah. you had to spend more. But it just meant that less people came. So in January, the Walt Disney Company acknowledged that it might have pushed too hard on prices at its theme parks, <laughs> angering loyal customers. It revised its policies on ticketing, hotel parking, ride photos, and annual passes. Damn, Honest- that's a lot of concessions. These Disney adults got some serious power, man. <laughs> yeah. And honestly, shocking because, uh, you know, I, I kind of figured the, the Disney heads would just accept any indignity. It'd be like, company. epic, epic, yeah. sir. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, I, I remember when Disney um, was acquiring Marvel 
And all of the Disney heads on Facebook at the time, this was a while ago, uh, all the Disney heads on Facebook who I was friends with were like, oh my God, this is going to be the most epic collaboration where now we'll get Spider-Man into the into the Disneyverse and everything. Like, uh, this is going to rule. And I'm like, this is like a massive, like controversial you know, <laughs> consolidation move. Like, why are you guys cheering for this? You know, like this is this isn't good. <laughs> They're well, like, was, oh my god, epic move. <laughs> it was very funny. I was at an AFT function and I was sitting at a table with a bunch of people I'd never met before, and we're all chit-chatting. And in normal crank fashion, I immediately wore out my welcome because they were talking <sighs> about going to Ryan. Disney Disneyland. And I initially kind of laughed. I was like, yeah, how lame is that? And they, but they all oh, loved Brian. it. They're all like Disney heads. Like I, they were like, I go 78 times a year. Like, you know, oh, <laughs> like every, every man. available free day that I have, I fly oh. to LA to go to Disneyland. No, but like they all were Disney heads. And, uh, <laughs> which I still maintain is the silliest thing an adult can be. But, uh, they brought, yes. they're talking about this line thing, right? The skip the line thing. And I then this is where I really became the wet blanket, which was like, I think there's probably a psychological effect that happens when you, you know, via fees segment societies like this, where say you spent all this time saving up just enough money to get in the gates of Disneyland. And then you just watch all these people walk by you like you're a fucking peasant to get on yeah. the ride in front of you. Right. You yeah. Know, an experience that you'll get to do at the airport as well at, you know, like at you know every place in your life. Right. Like that probably is not good socially, like as a social impact. Uh, needless to say, the people at my table were not particularly interested in that view. <laughs> no, no, but you get to pass the line. But you, you yeah, get yeah, to walk yeah. past the line. You get to, yeah, you don't get to wait. You, you, yeah, yeah. you get to go on the ride on the you cool, get to walk past cool ride. The peasants. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, this is the difference between uh, being tenure track and being adjunct. I guess is you're you're on different sides of this of this debate. So back to the article. But the shift toward premium products could signal the start of a more lasting change as businesses settle into a routine of selling lower volumes for higher prices in a divided economy, a strategy that could leave poorer consumers worse off. Take the U.S. car market. At the end of 2017, 36 models were priced below $25,000, and the share of cars that cost that much or less accounted for nearly 13% of all sales. At the end of last year, only 10 models had starting prices that low, and their share of sales had plunged to less than 4%. Subprime buyers are increasingly falling out of the market, and a sign that poorer people who tend to have lower credit scores are struggling for a foothold. Car makers may be cutting cheap models in part because it is hard to justify the cost of making them in an era of expensive parts and persistent labor shortages, said Jonathan Smoke, chief economist at Cox. But the expectation is that they will continue to focus on bigger ticket models while resting, uh, while resisting pushing overall vehicle production higher to levels that could lead to discounting, even as supply bottlenecks ease. Weird. So given the choice to produce more and sell more, the company is choosing, in fact, to produce less and hmm. sell high. But the thing that is, my textbook... The economics textbook says 
That's I'm guys, guys. You see behind me, I have an enormous thing that says supply and demand on it, right? And I just can't find that. So someone will fill it, right? Equilibrium. (laughs) Why why don't they just start making a cheaper, older model of car? You know, like bring back the 1989 Corolla. The the Chevy Chevette, I think, never got its due. Let's bring it back. (laughs) Hell yeah! You know, we we've oriented like all infrastructure in America to necessitate even the poorest people owning a vehicle, which has been just this massive way to just massively transfer wealth from poor people who just so much money goes into owning a fucking car. Um, but now we're going to do away with that where you're, I guess you're going to save money on not owning a car now. Cause it's just like mm-hmm. ha- a house out of reach. But of course, no, the infrastructure is not going to change. Yep, and zero so just infrastructure. Yep. It's just you, it's like being homeless. It's like yeah, mm-hmm. you're saving a lot of money. Mm-hmm. But uh, but don't worry, <laughs> uh, you know, as you get thrown out of the city into the exurbs or whatever, because you can't afford to live in the city, uh, the infrastructure that will be built will all be bike based to make sure that you can't get your ass back in. Right? Oh, Brian, <laughs> you're forgetting the most important infrastructure for these carless homeless people of all: prisons. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah. Quote, they're better off selling fewer and maintaining pricing power, Mr. Smoke said. Oh, I want to I'm going to frame these comments and mail them to our local urbanists here. That could spur competitors to jump into the market to provide cheaper cars. But such an adjustment is unlikely to happen quickly <laughs> or at all. I mean, like there's not a lot of car makers. That's the part of the problem, too. For now, car ownership could increasingly become the purview of the rich. Fewer new cars eventually translates into fewer used cars. That raises but prices. used cars. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that raises prices and together with high interest rates, threatens to shut poor people out of the market. It's a window on what a widespread emphasis on premiumization could mean for the economy. Lower production, potentially higher inflation in the short run, and permanently higher prices in the long run. But it is too early to tell whether what is happening now is widespread and persistent enough to have a meaningful economic impact, said Isabella Weber, an economist at the University of Massachusetts Amherst. Oh, thank God, Isabella. (laughs) (laughs) It's a very confusing moment, she said. And it just ends right there with that. Uh, just a wonderful statement that fills me with all sorts of uh, good feelings and uh, confidence. It's a very look. Maybe the terrible thing won't happen. It's all very confusing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I think uh, you know, I, uh, they they keep saying we don't really understand inflation. All these models they don't work. We don't really know what's going on. But I think that's just because they can't say the truth out loud you know mm-hmm. which is that this is this is just labor discipline and it's working yeah all working it's all working yeah this is just capital going according to plan i mean the the american sort of golden age or whatever that everybody wants to remember the post-war golden age was a product of labor unions and the united states being the premier empire in the world unrivaled <laughs> you know empire on the planet uh all that's gone so now we're going back to what capitalism really is, which is the late 19th century, uh, which is probably why we're returning to child labor and things like that. <laughs> but yeah. the late 19th century is what <laughs> capitalism actually looks like when you let the market do its thing. And, um, 
yeah, we're just we're just going back to that. Uh, very exciting stuff. Um, well, get on those railroad buybacks while you can, man. Buy Berkshire stock, I guess. Exactly. We're, we're look at what we've been doing for the last uh, what, however many months, literally just talking about railroads on here. We we really are going back to the 19th century. <laughs> Uh, China is number one in the news. Might as well be 1882 yeah. <laughs> again. Uh, you know, it's, it's everything's looking great. Oh, and the Russian bear is now menacing the West. So <laughs> it really is the 19th century all over again. Uh, you got to love it. Hey, shameless plug for those of you who want to know more about the 19th century. Go listen to older episodes of Ending the Myth. Uh, they're still up there. You can still listen to them. Check it out. They're timeless. <laughs> uh, you can listen to Richard White tell us about how capitalism ran great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the Gilded Age. <laughs> Making a case. <laughs> exactly. Uh, we also have a new patron we need to thank. Uh, Adam Shift. Adam Shift? No, Adam Schick. Adam Schick. Thanks for Adam Schick. joining the, uh, the crew, the Patreon crew. Make sure to set up your discord account and go in there and uh, immediately start, start dropping your own pig poop balls images all across <laughs> our discord. Uh, everybody loves it. <laughs> go for it. Uh, do we have anything else we need to add? Good night. <laughs> uh, Zencaster, please fix your software. Good night, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Please fix your free software. Yeah, that we don't pay for. We don't want to pay the premium uh, version of so it doesn't drop. Yeah, I I can't afford the premiumization. All right, so please fix the software. All right, good night, everybody.